0: Well, good morning. Good morning. I trust that you have brought your copy of God's Word with you this morning. I'm going to invite you to open with me to the book, "The Song of Solomon." We're going to be finishing up this book this morning, which seems hard to. Believe, but it is true. We have reached the end, and um, as we move from this book to other books, um, I can assure you that um, this is the this is theology of theology. This is where people live life most of the days of their lives is in a relationship, and as I mentioned. Previously, when we started this last section of the Song of Solomon, I've titled this section Lovers for Life, and I believe with all of my heart that that is what God has intended when He joins two people together, to be lovers for life through thick and thin. That's why we say, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, because The pastor, when he marries individuals, young folks, they don't have enough perspective on life to know that there will come trials and tribulation and difficulty and miscarriages and loss of family members or even sons and daughters. They know in advance the hardships that will travail their relationship. And through it all, God intends for that husband and that wife That which God joined together to not be separated by any man or any circumstance, ever. They're intended to be lovers for life. As I mentioned last time we were together looking at the Song of Solomon, the creator of marriage certainly did not intend such misery. And when we look around the landscape of marriage today, of relationships within the culture today, we see unfortunately, much misery. That's why I use the quib on many occasions. It's better to be single wishing you were married than married wishing you were single. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of married folk out there wishing they were single. And I'm telling you right now, one of the reasons that they do this is because we believe that we can outsmart God. God has given us a book in the Bible, the Song of Solomon, Wisdom from Heaven on how to begin, maintain, sustain, long-lasting relationships that will make you lovers for life and intimate lovers for life. But we, in our own wisdom, we have discerned that we can outsmart God in every way, including this one. And so when you look at the landscape of marriages in our culture today, we see much misery. But God did not intend such misery whenever he created husband and wife and brought them together. He did not design this misfortune as A sort of divine penalty for the happiness of the first few months of romance. He is not a master of deceit who loves to trap people in varying degrees of agony. Dying a slow death chained to their worst enemy. Believe it or not, marriage is really supposed to become better with age. See it? Believe it? Or not. How do we know this is true? Believe it or not, how do we know this is true? Because God has given us a book. A love song within the book of books. That shows us his clear intentions. The intentions of his heart. With regard to relationships of husbands and wives. All the way to the end of their lives. This is how we know so, believe it or not, God's Word says it's so. Amen? Now, I could just stop right there and we could pray and we could say amen because it's true. But we say that about everything in God's words. This is the easy aspect. The doing is the hard, right? The living is the hard. Understanding this is one thing, but the living of it is a, is a completely different thing altogether as we've been talking about this on many occasions on our way through this most beautiful book. So we're picking up here in verse 5, chapter 8, verse 5. We left this off three weeks ago in dealing with this idea that God's intended uh, ideal for relationships is that we are lovers for life. Notice verse 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? The who is the Shulamite, and her beloved is Solomon. And I want you to notice something significant here. Notice that the image here is non-sexual. Now, does that somehow catch you by surprise just a little bit? Having worked our way through the song of Solomon, through the entirety of the love song scene after scene, we have seen these two desiring each other Sexually and intimately. Chapter 1 verse 2 has her saying at the very beginning let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. But here at the climax of this love song instead of more of that. Instead we get a picture of what mature intimacy perhaps indeed looks like. One that teaches that the climax of love is not specifically sex but a deep abiding relationship. Notice again, look at verse 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness? Listen to these words. Capture the image that the the poet is intending for you to see in your mind's eye. Who is this coming up from the wilderness? Leaning on her beloved. Can you see that image? It's as if the, the, the poet intends here for us to see this couple off in the distance And we are invited to gaze upon these two lovers as they provide for us here at the end of their love song a picture of true tranquility, a a picture of the two of them leaning into each other. It's, It's a silhouette of sorts representing the intention that God has for a husband and a wife when the two become one. When he makes them lovers for life. We see here this leaning in on her beloved. We see this picture, this portrait of true love that has endured the test of both time and temptation and still they're here together leaning in on each other. Can't you just see her with her head resting on the side of his chest just, just leaning in, soaking it in and enjoying the beauties of their relational love? It reminded me of the old gospel song Leaning on the everlasting arms. You remember that some of you old time? Wayne Wayne's like, I wish we sang that, right? Royce is like, yeah. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Safe and secure from all alarms. That's the picture this gives us of the Shulamite as she is leaning in on her beloved. Isn't that good? towards the end of their love song, towards the end. We don't know how, how much longer they have in the relationship. The poet isn't intended to give us that. But towards the end of the love song, towards the end of all that they've been through together, that we've watched them go through together as, as we have coursed through the Song of Solomon, he brings us to this most beloved imagery of the two of them leaning in together. You know, this also got me to thinking about the Apostle John and how he was leaning in on the bosom of Christ, His Lord, there at the Last Supper. Feeling safe and secure. Can you see that imagery? I love this quote from one of the commentaries I was reading. It says, The way Christians are to lean upon Jesus is similar to the way a wife is to lean upon her husband. A wife does not lean upon her husband for everything, but she should lean upon him for loving leadership, which includes affection, protection, and provision. That's what it means to be a husband. That's what it means to love your wife as Christ loves the church. So husbands, if you will, it's our job to make sure that we are lovably leanable. Amen? That's what we're to be doing all the days of our lives. Because someday you will get old together. And what's the silhouette? What's the portrait? Off in the distance as people gaze upon your relationship, what will they see? Will they see a leaning? That's what you want them to see. And that's what I believe God has intended. Lovers for life. Notice... Keep looking verse 5. Notice how Solomon here is reminiscent of this relationship, kind of taking us all the way back to the beginning. Here he is at the end. They're leaning. The poet has us seeing them leaning in on each other, and then Solomon takes us back all the way, if you will, to the beginning. Look at the end of verse 5. He says, Beneath the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she was in labor and gave you birth. This apple tree here, as you might have assumed, isn't referring to a literal apple tree. Earlier in the Song of Solomon, back in chapter 2, the Shulamite says that Solomon is like an apple tree. Notice all the way back here in chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. This is where we were in the sermon, the lover's volley of praise, where they are just praising one another well you're the most lovely no you're the most lovely oh you look so wonderful oh no you look so wonderful. the volley of praise the lover's volley of praise remember that all the way back in chapter 2 if not you need to go listen because you need to be perfecting that in your relationship the lover's volley of praise and when she's volleying back to him she says this she says like an apple tree among the trees of the forest so is my beloved among the young men In his shade I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He has brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. She is saying that Solomon has provided in the relationship shade in which she can delight and sit down. He has a restful presence for her to be in. The fruit of his love, the fruit of his words, the volleying of his praise was sweet to her taste. Even in verse 4, when they're in a public forum, when he would bring her, let's say, to a banquet hall, his banner over her, even in a public place, is love. He has demonstrated this kind of care and brought this kind of shade tree, apple shade tree, tranquility into the relationship under which she was able to flourish and thrive. So she says, verse 5, sustain me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apples because I'm lovesick. Verse 6, let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. We see this woman desiring this man physically and intimately because of the kind of apple shade tree that he has provided for her in their courtship. So go back to verse, chapter 8, verse 5. Notice, beneath the apple tree I awakened you. Are you picking up on some of the imagery here that the poet is reaching back to? She was awakened to the love that she had for this man of desiring to fully give herself to a man underneath this apple shade kind of, this apple tree kind of shade that Solomon provided for her. And he was saying, It was there that I awakened you into the beauty of this thing that is love. It's akin to giving birth. She was given birth, she was brought awakened to love in the same way that her mother gave birth to her as well. Solomon's love for this woman, his words of affirmation as we saw both of her inner and outward beauty were like shade under an apple tree. Now, why an apple tree? Perhaps, if you remember, I used that little quib. An apple a day keeps the doctor away because apples are full of nutrients. And when you eat them, it's good for the body. In the same way that relationships are intended to be nourishment to the body. Perhaps that's the reason the apple tree is indicated here. I don't know definitively, but it sure fits, doesn't it? I mean, it kind of fits for me. All I know, guys, is that I want the shade that I cast over my wife to be like an apple tree. I want her to find nourishment and 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 sustaining of life, a place where she can blossom and bloom and grow. That's where he says I awakened you, and that's where men are intended to awaken their girls into a relationship where they become lovers for life. Amen. That's the way it's intended to be. Isn't that good? Now go back to again verse eight. And by the way, do you I'm just by a quick show of hands, can those of you who are married, can you remember that? Can you kind of get there in your mind of that apple tree shade and the awakening of love? I tell you, in October, thank you, Patty. Here's Patty, married 63 years. She's over here waving her hand at me. <laughs> Bruce got that big smile. Yeah, right here. I told you you need to go talk to these folks. I can still remember October 12th of 1988 to the day that I met a young gal that God would put me on the course of becoming lovers of life together with. And those apple, the, the, the shade and the, of, those, of those days The glory of those days is as sweet to my memory today as they've ever been. Probably sweeter. Because we're getting closer to this leaning in stage right here. Unfortunately, it goes fast. So if you're wanting to get married single, stop wasting your time. Dang it, go get a wife. Dragging your heels, I mean, come on. Your life, you're here, you're gone. But make sure she loves Jesus more than herself and make sure you do too. It's that simple. It's that simple. Notice how precious this truly is. Look at verse 6 and 7. She says to Solomon, she says, Put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. there jealousy is as severe as sheol its flashes are flashes of fire the very flame of the Lord like I have said before if you compliment my wife and tell her how beautiful she is that doesn't bother me but if you put your hand on her head I will break your arm and hand it back to you in a basket because Love is as strong and jealous as death and as severe as Sheol. It's something you do not mess with. Let no man try to separate. You heard of p- crimes of passion? And I think this is why they let you off easy for it. Because they even recognize in the word of God that you don't mess with love. Love. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, he would be utterly despised. That's how strong it is. That's the way, right here, verse 6 and 7. This is the way lovers of life think and talk. Listen to this definition on the word seal. She said, put me like a seal over your heart. This is from the Archaeological Encyclopedia of the Holy Land. Seals. In ancient ancient times, seals were used to denote personal ownership of certain objects. And sealing a document with a personal or public seal confirmed the authenticity of the contents. And she's saying, put me like that. You, Solomon, you, husband, put me like a seal over your heart. You, husband, put me, your wife, as a seal on your arm. The heart, it it seems, is designating all of the inner passions and and the, the soul of this man, his loves, his passions, everything that makes him up on the inside. She says, I want all of that for all of me. Seal it with me and put me as a seal on your arm. I want all your strength. I don't want any of your strength going to any other woman. I'm the seal on your heart. I'm the seal on your arm. It's all mine. And again, why this is so obvious is right here because love is as strong as death. God kind of love is as severe as the grave so we ask ourselves the obvious question how strong is death how severe is sheol the answer, the obvious and the only answer would be it's permanent once you die once you are in the grave it's over it's permanent it's final just like falling in true love is intended and meant to be it's as strong as death the death do not give back their own And it's as strong as the grave, it's permanent, it's over, and only death will ultimately part you two lovers. Only death can separate what God joined together. That's how strong love is truly intended to be. This is the kind of single-minded loyalty that a husband and wife should have toward Each other. Amen. And I hope as you gaze into the word of God, I hope that as we've walked through this book, this love song, I hope and pray that you have felt the severity of these matters. And it's my hope and my prayer that you long for what God has intended for you with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if there needs to be a point where you forget what lies behind, remember the foxes. Maybe there's a lot of foxes that need to be killed within your relationship because they're destroying your vineyard, they're destroying your relationship. Now's the time to catch them and kill them, amen? And begin again, if need be. Don't think this is so far out of reach. It's beyond the ocean. No, it's right here underneath our very nose. It's right before our very eyes. The Word of God is saying you can have and should have this kind of love story. Begin again. Keep looking. Notice how else true love between, between lovers for life gets described. It says, its flashes, love's flashes, right here. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers. If many waters wasn't a good enough description, we'll go rivers. If rivers wasn't enough, he could have gone oceans. You get the point here, right? Right? Many waters cannot quench this kind of love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his household for this kind of love, he would be utterly despised. Now, if there were ever a battle between fire and water, these two antithetical elements, which one will always win if there's always enough what? Water. If there's always enough water, water will always win the battle between water and fire, right? Except here. This kind of relational love flame is the very flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. This is a God-awful kind of love. This is the kind of love that cannot be quenched no matter the amount of water you throw on it. I don't care if it's the many or if it's the rivers. You can throw all the water you want against this kind of God-awful love, the very flame of the Lord... A God-intended love between a husband and wife, and it cannot, cannot quench it. So I'm just going to say, it, if you have folks that say, oh, well, I just fell out of love, and that's why we got divorced, I'm here to tell you they never knew this kind of love ever. And that's not to cast blame or shame. That's just to say you haven't experienced the kind of love, God's way, the way he's intended it to be. And so if you're going to start over, then start over doing it according to the book. Go to Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. Start reading, start seeing the lessons and the principles and learn them and put them into practice because this is the kind of love that God intends between a husband and a wife that are intended to be lovers like this for life. There's no amount of water that can quench this love. It's almost as if you take the burning bush, remember Moses and the burning bush, the fir- the fire just never went out. Take that burning bush of Moses and take it to the Jordan River when they're crossing over. And remember when the waters come crashing back down? Put that burning bush underneath the Jordan River waters and the waters crash down against it. That flame would never go out and the smoke from that fire would find its way through the waters and it would burn eternally underneath the waters because the embers of God's love between a husband and a wife are permanent. You cannot quench it. And if a man were to try to buy this kind of love, sell everything he has. The New American Standard says it. I like the way the ESV translates this, he, he would be utterly despised. Because once you put a value on this kind of love, I don't care if it's a billion dollars or if it's one dollar. The second you, uh, you put some kind of value on this kind of love, you've turned it into a commodity that can be purchased. You've cheapened it. I don't care if you say it's worth a million dollars. The second you put a value on it, it becomes a commodity. And we, as we all know, commodities can be what? Discarded at any moment. Not this kind of love. It's priceless. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is the kind of love that every single human soul longs for. Yours does. I know it does. And so does mine. And that's why this is emotional for me to talk about. Because by God's grace, my wife and I, we set out a long time ago in 1992... And we just said, we, we had just gotten finished going through the Song of Solomon in 1991 as a, as a young, Mary, as a young uh, dating couple at Denton Bible Church, and Tom Nelson had just for the first time preached the Song of Solomon series, and we were blown away. And we just said to each other, look, let's just do this. We've, uh, we have never become masters of reading all the marriage books that are out there, ever. Ever. Don't need them. I don't care what people are saying. I want to know what God says, and this is what I'm going to try to perfect right here. And the two of us set out together in in July of 1992. Oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven. I'm glad it fell on a, a convenient date. It helped. And this is all we've tried to do. And so as I, as I see this and I read this and as I look at our picture and I see that we're, getting, we're aging in life, and I know that soon we too will be like beautiful Walt and Terry back there, and soon we'll be with our Savior in heaven because you age out, you're here, but just for a moment, it's over and it's gone, but it's so rich and it's so sweet and it's so good, I want to hang on to it with everything I got. But I can't. Because God says, I want you to love me even more than that. I want you to seek me first and my kingdom and all this other stuff and walking in obedience will just be the overflow of my goodness to you in your life and his goodness in my life in this this area of relationships has been more than I could have ever ever asked for and this is what I want for all of you as well but let me tell you If you think for one second that I'm going to stand up here on some laurel and just rest on that, never. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be trying to implement and improve on the very principles that I see in the Song of Solomon and the way I treat my wife for the rest of my life as long as I have breath in my lungs. My apple tree shade for her is only going to get better and sweeter and richer with age. That's my commitment to God. It's my commitment to her. To you as a church, we live a public life. There's nothing private about this. And I want you to see through us what a love relationship can truly be and look like because I want you to have this as well. Commit your ways to God's word and you can. There's no amount of water out there that can throw shade on your apple tree love, awaken it and run with God and that love cannot be quenched. Amen? That's, I think that's all I got to say on that. Now, this, in essence, brings us to the end of the glories of this love song. We see them off in the distance, leaning in on each other. And then we get this beautiful picture of the perseverance and endurance of eternal love between a husband and a wife. And it's almost as if they go off into the distance. But then the poet gives us a few little vignettes towards the end of the Song of Solomon. A couple of vignettes that are very pointed and powerful reminders of where they started and how they got there. You ready for this? This is really good. The first little vignette is on the virtue and value of virginity. It's on the virtue and value of virginity and maintaining your virginity until time awakens, until God's time is right. Which means... After the marriage and on honeymoon night, just like we saw in the Song of Solomon. Why do you think that we would get this little vignette at the very end of this love song? Doesn't that seem a little bit odd, a little bit strange? I think it's here because whenever you read through a love song, especially if you're single, you're thinking, whoa, man, that's, that's pretty, pretty hot and spicy stuff. I like it. I want some of that, Right? Right, single guys, yeah, some single girls. That's what you want. And so it's almost as if the poet, God, the poet, is reminding you that when you do things His way, it will pay off in the end. Notice this little vignette. We have a sister. Verse 8. We have a sister, and she has no breasts. Simply lets us know that this family... They have this little sister who was the Shulamite. And at one time she was really young. She was so young she had no breasts. She was just a a young girl playing in the house... And these, if you remember at the beginning of the Song of Solomon, the brothers were mean to her. And they made her caretakers of the vineyard. They made her work outside in the family business. And her skin got darkened and burned because of having to work outside. So she didn't, she looked like one of the outside girls. She wasn't smooth. She looked swarthy in her opinion. And she didn't think that a man like Solomon, or perhaps any man, would even have interest in her. So... They say, what shall we do for our sister on the day when she's spoken for? In other words, they recognize that this family clearly knows that a day is coming when a man will ask for her hand in marriage. She won't remain a little sister, a little girl, all the days of her life. A man will show up asking her hand in marriage. And so they proffer this question. What will we do for her when that time comes, when she's spoken for? And then in verse 9, they supply the answer. If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. If she stays chaste and sexually pure, impenetrable, the idea of a wall, then we will give her our blessing and make a really big to-do about her special day of marriage. We will build on her a battlement of silver. That would be a very large, obvious, spectacular thing that they would do. They would make a really big deal out of that special day. But, verse 9, but if she's a door... We will barricade her with planks of cedar. If she's a door, if she's open and available, unchaste, sexually available and easy to access, then we will not give her our blessing and we will make it difficult for that chump. Now that's very technical Hebrew translation right there, chump. You don't see it in most translations because they deem it to be a little bit crude. However, I think that that's the idea, that the chump that's wanting to marry that daughter, this family is not going to make it so easy. They're going to make it very difficult, and they're not going to be giving their blessing for that said day. They're going to barricade her with planks of cedar. Going to make it very unreasonable for this young man to want to marry this sister. So what we are learning is that the issue of being sexually chaste prior to marriage isn't just a matter of personal interest or individual interest alone. It's a matter of the interest of the entire family. The, The community of the family seems to have a part to play. And this girl's family specifically has been thinking about this and the importance of valuing the virtue of her virginity, and I'm assuming of theirs as well, since they're in this community and they're in this family together. It was something that they talked about from the time she was a little girl who had no breast, all the way up until the time that she was a woman ready for marriage. So while the issue of sex is an intimate issue between a husband and a wife, while single, it isn't to be a private issue, it seems. Families need to create a home culture where virginity is valued and its virtue is extolled. Families need to do this, and I believe that church cultures need to create such a similar culture where virginity and the virtue of virginity is extolled and if you remember when we were going through the Song of Solomon, I said that we have this purity culture that always kind of speaks of sex as it's a no-no, no, 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 don't no, don't do that. And instead of seeing it as a no-no, we need to think of it as a not yet yet. Because the reality is, parents, your children are gonna grow up and they're gonna have a lot of sex someday with their spouse. Deal with that. It's a reality. So instead of making it a no-no, some kind of a dirty thing, it's a yes-yes. It's a beautiful, glorious thing that God has intended. That's why I put a book in the Bible about it. And instead, we need to teach them not to say no-no, but to wait, wait. Wait until God's time is right. It's a yes-yes, not a no You following me here? And a church culture needs to embrace that. It's a communal thing. It needs to be there's a culture within the church, there's a culture within the home, and this is a home, this church home. There needs to be a culture that puts a value on the virtue of virginity and maintaining that because here at the very end of the Song of Solomon, after seeing the beauties of God's intended pleasures and love within marriage between a husband and a wife and all the things that go, we're being reminded of this very value and the virtue of this at the very end for a reason. Because if you think that you can get this, if you think you can get what we've seen here without doing this, you might want to give second consideration. Just ask around. See how that's working out. You may find a, an off-chance story here or there what turned out beautifully. Oh, yeah, we... But just ask around the culture. You'll see. You'll see. There needs to be a culture that values this. Notice verse 10. Notice her reply. She says, I was a wall. And notice the progression of this woman in verse 10. I was a wall. I was impenetrable. I was not available. I was within a family that valued this, and I valued it. And I would not give myself away sexually. Did she desire it? Did we see this at the beginning of the Song of Solomon? Absolutely. Chapter 1, verse 2. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. May his left hand be under, under my head and his right hand embrace me. Of, in, there in chapter 2, we just got finished reading it. He's like an apple tree that provided the shade. And she says, I want this man physically. Well, of course she desired it, but did she do it? No. And so that refrain that we sell all the way through the Song of Solomon, do not arouse or awaken love until it pleases. She says, I was a wall. She did that. He did that. And my breasts were like towers. In other words, she's growing up. She's no longer the flat-chested little sister. She has breasts now that are like towers that are impressive. Men want them. Then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. We see here the fruit of the family's labors, of valuing the virtue of virginity. And she says... In fruition at the right time and as we saw in the song of Solomon chapter 4 on their honeymoon night she became in his eyes as one who finds peace and she was able to give herself to her husband at the right place at the right time and it was yes yes and amen and if you remember at the end when God speaks into their love song and he says, Drink and imbibe deeply, O oh lovers. It's a yes, yes. But while you're young and single, it's a wait. Not yet. Yet. Just wait. Be patient. Seek God's mate. Do it the right way. And this is what you can get. What do you you want to know what you can get? Start reading. When you work hard and you catch the little foxes and you do... And you, and you manage conflict well in your relationship, and you know the, the lover's volley of praise, and you do these things, this is what you can get. In other words, if you do it God's way, you can get this. And I believe that's intended to be clearly articulated here towards the end of the Song of Solomon. We need a culture that values the virtue of virginity in our, in our day. And we need that here in this church, and you need that in your homes. Amen? We do. And in verses 11 and 12, we see the Shulamite reminding all her admirers that what she possessed, her own vineyard, couldn't be purchased. Again, a recognition of her valuing her virginity. Notice verse 11 and 12. Uh-oh. I, 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 well, Nope, there it is right here. I didn't have a separate page for it. Boom, right there. Notice 11 and 12. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Harmon. He entrusted the vineyard to caretakers. Each one was to bring a thousand shekels of silver for its fruit. So Solomon was a landowner. He had many vineyards. He had people that were probably like land crop shares, and they would... manage the land and they had to pay him a portion a thousand shekels for the fruit that they received from their land and it seems perhaps that the Shulamites family may have been one of these the text isn't that explicitly clear but it seems that that might be what's being indicated here but most importantly when you look at verse 12 she says my my very own vineyard is at my disposal the thousand shekels are for you Solomon and 200 are for those who take care of it in other words you're going to get your thousand for, for the property and the people who perhaps were in the family business and helping taking care of its fruit. They also received a wage for their laborers. But she clearly identifies right here that my very own vineyard is at my disposal. She values the virtue of her virginity, and she recognizes that no one can snatch that from her, but she alone is at at her disposal. It's at my disposal. It's at her disposal when and whom she gives that gift to. That just seems to be the the flow within the context of how this is laying itself out as at the end of this Song of Solomon, in these vignettes, we see the, the value and the virtue of heralding Chasteness, virginity. Are you seeing this? There are things that can be purchased, but my garden, my vineyard, my body is not one of those. It's non-negotiable. And then in verses 13 and 14... We have, in verse 13, we have Solomon speaking, it seems, speaking to, as he says right here, companions. So he speaks in verse 13, O oh, you who sit in the gardens, it seems as though Solomon is here speaking to his bride. And we saw that the relationship on many occasions through the, through the love song was in, in seasons where the gardens were in bloom. So it's like he's talking to his bride and he says, Hey, hey, sweetheart, my companions are listening for your voice. It's almost as if he's saying, I have some friends that are doubtful of what I've just shared with them in relation to God's ideal for husbands and wives in marital relationships. So you who sit in the gardens, I have companions that are listening for your voice. Let me hear it. Tell them that what I'm saying is so. Let them know that if they value their virginity the way you did and the way we said no every time we were tempted to break that that golden virtue of God. You let them know like I've let them know that if you wait and you do it God's way, it will pay off. You're not missing out. You're not losing. You're actually gaining. Okay, guys, check this out. Listen. Let us hear your voice. Let me hear it. Listen, she's about to tell you. Listen up. And so here comes the voice. And she says, hurry, my beloved. And be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spice. Told you. What did I tell you? I told you, if you value the virtue of virginity and you do it God's way, you can have a wife that wants you sexually just like the love song said she would. I told you. Did you hear her voice? Young men, when we went through the Song of Solomon, did you hear her voice? It was clearly intended to be heard. Young ladies, did you hear her voice? He's saying to his skeptical companions, his skeptical friends, listen, you may find it hard to believe that in doing things God's way, it can work out like this. This seems impossible, but I'm telling you it's true. And in verse 14, he says, see, I told you so. You love a girl this way. You speak to her this way. The lover's volley of praise. You stay committed to catching little foxes this way. So they don't destroy your vineyard and your relationship. You work and practice at reconciling your wrongs this way. And your wife will desire you sexually this way. So hurry. Be about doing things God's way, gentlemen and singles. Because this is the heart of God with regard to relationships this my friends